0: Welcome to What's the Law Say, a presentation of Legal Aid of West Virginia. I'm Clint Adams, Legal Director at Legal Aid of West Virginia, and in this episode, we will be discussing SNAP benefits. Legal Aid of West Virginia is a nonprofit law firm providing legal services and advocacy to vulnerable West Virginians. This podcast is presented to bring relevant and current information. All the information is current at the time this podcast is published. Our guest attorneys are licensed to practice law in the state of West Virginia, and this information relates only to the law in the state of West Virginia. It is provided for informational purposes only. While our host and guests are attorneys and non-attorney advocates, this information presented is legal information. It does not take the place of an attorney-client relationship. You should speak with an attorney about your specific situation. As noted, I'm Clint Adams, legal director at Legal Aid of West Virginia and your host, mostly because we're having trouble landing Brad Paisley. I think he'd be a better host than I am, but, you know, this is what you get. Um, I have the great and distinct honor of being joined today by Kathy Townsend Estep, and we're going to talk about SNAP benefits. Welcome, Kathy. Hello. How are you today?
1: I'm great. How are you?
0: I'm fantastic. Now, let's talk a little bit about you. What do you do at Legal Aid? I am an
1: administrative law paralegal Um, I handle DHHR cases against the department and also social security cases in um, redeterminations and overpayments.
0: And you represent, are you an attorney then that represents in these hearings or are you a non-attorney advocate?
1: I am a non-attorney advocate.
0: And in doing that, you can uh, represent in certain administrative hearings, as you noted, um, some public benefits hearings that would be involving the DHHR and some um, social security hearings that would involve the social security administration. Do I understand that correctly?
1: That is correct.
0: And which office do you work out of?
1: I work out of the Charleston office, but I represent um, the whole southern half of the state.
0: And what do you do for fun in Charleston?
1: Um, well, up until a few months ago, I had a child in school, so we did all of the all of the competitions and the festivals and the games. Um, I am enjoying not doing a lot right now.
0: <laughs> so no, and mostly you hang out at your house then for fun, huh? Yes. Yeah. Probably don't recommend that to others to hang out at your house, though, right?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I could be fun.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Having worked with you, I can attest that is true. You certainly can be fun. Um, so let's talk about SNAP benefits. That's what we promised everybody. So let's uh, talk about that. What is SNAP? That sounds fancy.
1: SNAP is um, it's an acronym for Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, which is basically food stamps through the DHHR
0: we're familiar i think historically with food stamps if you get food stamps do you get stamps I, I mean i know i'm old and but i recall there used to be like paper fake money basically that you would take and uh, and you would use that is that still something that's used
1: that is not um i do remember the, the old food stamp process where you had you know certain a 10 a 20. Um, now everything is electronic on an ebt card and it's basically like a credit card, but it comes from the DHHR and your benefits are loaded on that. And when you check out at the grocery store, you use that card like you would a debit card.
0: Now, who is eligible to receive SNAP benefits? Is everyone eligible?
1: It is. It's based upon income. So um, depending on how much you make, you could be eligible for up to $281 for a one-person household. Um, some people only get, you know, 10 or $23 a month. It is solely based on income. Um, but it starts at like um, 100% federal poverty level, which is around about $1,133 a month.
0: So, so anyone that's making less than that would be eligible for the full amount of, of food stamps. And then if you make more than that, there's a sliding scale and some people may get a, a fairly small amount. Do I understand that?
1: it is a very um complicated it's a 12-step procedure because you can also they not only look at income but they look at expenses so if you have medical expenses or if you have childcare expenses um so it's not always you should always check to see if you're eligible um, because you could be making more than that and with your expenses be eligible to receive snap benefits
0: so if you don't know if you're eligible or you're Frankly, you're having trouble making ends meet. How could you find out if you were eligible for anything?
1: You could go to any local office to apply for benefits. And when you apply, you could say, I want to apply for all benefits. And they will look to see, based upon your situation, what benefits you would be eligible for. But you can also apply online if you don't want to go into the local office, which is sometimes quicker. Um, And in order to apply online, it's West Virginia PATH. D A T H dot gov, gov.
0: And when you say any local office, you mean any office of the DHHR? Is that, do I understand that correctly? I mean, you can't just walk into an office that's the accounting office and go, I want to apply for food stamps, right? It's,
1: it's the local DHHR office, but there is a DHHR office in every county.
0: And when you walk in there, would you meet with a worker?
1: Well, it depends on where you go. I know in larger counties like Kamal County, You go in and you request an application, a paper application, and then you fill it out um, and you submit it to them. And sometimes they'll do an appointment right then to where you speak to someone to do the initial interview so you can be approved. Sometimes if they're not, you know, they don't have time, they'll schedule a phone appointment to talk to you so you can get the benefits started.
0: Now, are there limitations on assets as well? What if you're Elon Musk and all your money's tied up in SpaceX and Tesla? Are there limitations on what you can own as far as assets?
1: There are limitations. Um, for a single person, it's $2,000 in assets, and for a, a family, it's $3,000 um, for SNAP benefits. Now, you are allowed to own your own home. It's the If, if you have additional property that is counted as an asset, you are al- allowed to own one vehicle per adult in your household, but anything in addition would be over the asset limit.
0: So let's, let's explore that just a little bit. What if, you, uh, what if your home sits on say 20 acres of land, does that count as extra property or is that your homestead and, and everything that is uh, attached to that counts?
1: As long as it is on one deed, that is considered your home. If you have two separate deeds, one for the house, one for the property, the property would be considered an asset. Um, but as long as you only have you have everything on one deed that is considered one asset, and that's your home.
0: And when you say two vehicles, what if you have a, a rust bucket that doesn't run and hasn't run for 35 years, sitting out in the front yard? Does that count as a vehicle?
1: It does. So you would either need to get it out of your name, um, send it to the dump, send it you know, somewhere. But of course, something like that is not going to be worth a whole lot. But it could be worth a couple hundred dollars towards your asset limit
0: you talked about your offset limit. So you have the $2,000. So that would count as an asset towards that. You're not prohibited from owning that particular um, vehicle that maybe hasn't run. Maybe it was grandma's Buick and you inherited it and it means something to you. It has some sentimental value. But at the end of the day, it's really worth the price of scrap. That Then that price of scrap may just count against your assets, but you could own the two vehicles. Do I understand that? That is correct. So, as long as you would have less than $1,800 and that vehicle, you're probably going to be fine.
1: Yes.
0: Now, you would still need to make sure that you listed that, though, on your list of assets whenever you filled out the application, Um, whether you filled it out online or through a paper application. um, It's important that you make sure that, that you document everything that's on there, right?
1: yes and then if if you don't agree with the the price that they have you know, put on that that piece of property you can absolutely talk to somebody about you know telling them that it's not worth whatever because it's not running or whatever but it's it you have to list everything that you are in possession of that's in your name
0: now what if you forget to list something and then you realize that after you get home and you're like oh. You know, that thing slipped my mind. We had uh, a mobile home sitting in the back of the back 20 there, and we haven't used it for forever, and it's it's really just, you know, it's not really a, a lot of value. What would happen if you forgot that?
1: I mean, as long as you, after you remember, record it. Um, because VHHR has access to the DMV. They have access to Social Security. So they all interface with each other. So they will look to see if you have anything in your name that you didn't list and then that could look like you were trying to purposely keep that information quiet so you could obtain benefits so you want to make sure if you remember it you report it you can report it to the local office you can call them you can call the customer service number Um, you can even email there's a, a change email where you can email changes and that way there's there's proof that you did report what you said you know what you forgot to begin with
0: We talked about there are limits on how much money you can make. Um, What if you're working for cash? What if you're doing odd jobs and and maybe mowing people's grass or shoveling the snow?
1: You still have to report it as income. Um, The person that you're working for, even if it's cash, they can give you a 1099 at the end of the year for tax purposes. The HHR has access to the taxes. So you need to report any money that you're making.
0: So what do you do now? You, so you've applied. They've determined that you're eligible. Now you get your SNAP benefits. What all can you buy with SNAP benefits?
1: You can buy any kind of food item. Um, you cannot purchase um, diapers. You cannot purchase anything that's, that's not food related. You cannot purchase alcohol. Um, you cannot pre- purchase ready-made food. So, like in the Krogers, you know they have the rotisserie chickens that are already ready. That would not be available to you for the with the EBT card because um, it is already made. It's it's any kind of food related items that is not already made.
0: Sorry, you made me laugh because anyone that's familiar with M and M songs knows that food stamps don't buy diapers because he made that clear <laughs> in his song. That, Lose yourself.
1: That is true. <laughs> It's, and I understand why you put it in there, because you think if you're getting assistance from the DHHR, they would assist, they would help you with, you know, the basic needs of raising a child, but that is not included.
0: So, you can't get rotisserie chickens. You certainly can't get anything at McDonald's or anything like that. But anything that's a food item, what if it's um, soda or chocolate or um, bacon, which are all historically not particularly good for you? Are you allowed to buy those? Absolutely. We talked about the ebt card that you get to 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 make these payments what happens if you lose your ebt card or somebody steals it
1: if you don't have the customer service number on you you can, you can always call to report it to the customer service center, but you can also walk into your local DHHR. The thing with calling the customer service center is they're going to ask you what your card number is. <laughs> and if your card's been lost or stolen, you're not going to know what it is. Um, so it's always okay just to walk into your local office and say, hey, I lost my card or I can't find it, someone stole it. And they can stop the payment on that card and issue a new, issue you a new card. but it could take up to 10 days to get that new card
0: what if you lost it because it was a flood, can you, you could get a replacement using the same process? Yes. And what about food? If you had food that was, that you had bought and it gets destroyed in a fire or in a flood or something like that, can you get replacement of that food?
1: You can, you can apply for emergency assistance and that basically will replace anything that you lost you will have to show proof that that there was an emergency that there was the flood that there you know you had a fire so you you would have to show proof that it actually happened but you can get a replacement of the snap benefits
0: We talk about SNAP benefits, and you talked about the sliding scale and things of that nature. Uh, I think most of us, especially those of us that work in this business, are familiar that there were some changes made during the COVID-19 pandemic. Just briefly, what were some of those changes, and are they still in effect?
1: Um, One of the big changes is that everyone that was receiving any money in SNAP benefits was brought up to the maximum amount available. So, if you had somebody that was receiving $23 a month from starting in April of 2020, they were getting $250 a month, which was the maximum amount for a person, a one person household. So, starting in March, you will go back to the amount that you were receiving prior to the pandemic. Um, One of the other big changes is the work requirement. Um, Most of the counties prior to the pandemic starting had an additional work requirement to receive SNAP benefits, that stopped during the pandemic. That has not started back yet, but we anticipate that will happen in June or July of this year.
0: So when you talk about that, those work requirements, how, how much do you have to work? Is there limitations on where you can work, anything like that?
1: So for, for all SNAP benefits, if you are in between the ages of 18 to 59, You are required to register with Workforce West Virginia or be working um, at least 80 hours a month. There is an additional work requirement for people who are in between the ages of 18 and 49 who do not have a a child under the age of 18. That additional work requirement is that you are working 80 hours a month or 20 hours a week. Um, and that will go into effect for all 55 counties starting in June or July.
0: So you said if you have young children, then then that might not apply to you?
1: It will not apply to you if you have children. The, one, the, the work requirement that you register with Workforce is for everyone. Um, but as far as actually maintaining a, a job for 80 hours a month, that is not required if you have a child.
0: And if you do have a child and you do work, are there um, programs that you're aware of uh, that, that help pay for daycare?
1: Um, VHHR will pay for the daycare. It's, it's through the Connect program, um, and that, it's, it's income-based as well. But if you're eligible to receive SNAP benefits, you're more than likely going to be eligible to receive Connect. So if you need to work, they'll, they'll pay for your child care.
0: Now you talked about some of the reasons uh, might be a young child that you might be exempt from this. Are there other reasons that you could be exempt from the, uh, I don't know what you call it, ABOD?
1: It's a ABOD. It's, able, it's able-bodied It's able adults without dependence is what ABOD stands for. Um, there, there are a lot of exemptions. Um, if you are incapacitated, if you're not capable of fulfilling a work requirement and you can get something from a doctor or a nurse practitioner or a, a PA or um you can that you can show that you're not fit for work currently. It's not saying that you're completely disabled, it's just saying right now I can't do this. One of the other work requirements or the exemptions is if you are taking care of in- an incapacitated adult. So if you are taking care of someone with a disability and that care takes away your ability to work, um, that would be considered an exemption if you are enrolled in a drug or alcohol treatment program and you are doing that so many times a week um, it has to equal the 20 hours you can't just do a half an hour program once a week and say that you can't do the work requirement that wouldn't work but if you're doing the, the substance abuse or alcohol treatment five days a week or even four days a week then you wouldn't be able to fulfill the work requirement you would just need something from your Your social worker or counselor that you're seeing to the DHHR to let them know. There's a few other exemptions. So when you get the letter saying, hey, you're going to be required to do this, the exemptions will be listed. But if you think you need one, you can always contact Legal Aid and we can help with that.
0: Now, what if you're in school? Does does that, does that meet the work requirement if you're taking college classes or you're in a vocational training course?
1: It does, and also legal uh, DHHR will, will pay, help you pay for and apply for financial aid to get into a college or vocational program. Um, the, the main thing that, that DHHR wants to do is to help you become self-sufficient. So you will have a plan during the, if you're an ABOD person, um, you will get a plan. You will let them know what you wanna do, and then they will figure out what's the best way for you to go about doing that. So they're not just going to be saying, "Hey, you have to go to work." They're going to say, "What do you want to do, and what can we do to ensure that you get that?" Um, because they want you to get a degree, they want you to get a job to where you're no longer going to need assistance. So that's the the main goal is that you're obtaining and maintaining employment where you no longer need assistance from the DHHR.
0: So you should give some thought then, if you're if you're going to. in this situation as to maybe what your five-year goals might be if you if you want to take a trade school be an electrician um, be a truck driver um, if those are things that are interesting to you then those should be the conversations that you should have right um with with that worker so that they can help you map a plan to get there do i understand that correctly
1: yes and there are several surveys that you take when you when you start in the the ent or the education and training program. Um, and during those, through those surveys, that's how the worker can determine what you're best suited for. Um, and I'm just going to give an example. If you are a person who suffers from ADHD, we're not going to try to find you a sit down job for eight hours a day. That's just, it's not feasible and you have to be able to move around, so let's try to find you something that interests you, that will, can keep your attention, that you can still move around. So it's just different things
0: like that. So. Uh- if you have trouble then with focusing, ADHD is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, if people aren't familiar with that, right? So, if you're going to have trouble focusing on one thing, they might try to find jobs. You know, you're not going to be very good at a factory worker where the job is to take one thing and to take a tire and put it on a truck, for example, right? You're not going to do that every time. Um, so, you may need a job that's going to have a little more variety, and they'll try to find a job then that would meet those needs. Yes. Now, let's talk about something I know you're very familiar with. Let's say you're denied SNAP benefits, or uh, maybe it's because of your income or because uh, they think you're qualified for work and you feel like you're not able to work. Maybe you're trying to get a disability, you've applied for disability, um, and you feel like you're not able to work. Um, What's that process look like then if you disagree with what the worker tells you when you first go to the department?
1: Anytime you have what they call an adverse action, so if they're reducing your benefits, terminating your benefits, if they've denied benefits, they will give you a letter telling you, you are denied, you are terminated, we're reducing benefits. On that letter is the phone number for legal aid. Contact legal aid get a case open and somebody in your local office will be able to assist you
0: and then um, what would they assist you with so let's say you get a letter that says you just got a job making a hundred thousand dollars a year so you're not eligible for for food stamps anymore so i'm not eligible um, i assume there would be no appeals process then that, that you would want to pursue beyond that do i understand that
1: normally not if, if it's that much money um but there there are certain circumstances where someone may be getting you know thirty thousand dollars a month a year for um income but they have outstanding expenses that have not been counted so it's always a good idea for someone in your in the local D, uh, legal aid office to look at your situation um, and see if dhhr is correct so i mean that's basically what we're doing sometimes they are going to be correct they're going to say that you're over income and you are and you don't have expenses and we're not going to be able to do a whole lot other than tell you that that was the correct determination um, but other times, we could be able to help. It just depends on the situation. Better to look and try than to miss out and, and be eligible.
0: So let's talk about the times that you may disagree. Maybe you think that there is an eligibility factor that they didn't consider in the formula. What does that process look like then? Do you just, you just call the department worker and go, hey, you forgot to include this? Or is there more process required than that?
1: Um, if for applying it doing anything by themselves it's important to have proof of what you're doing um, because we're doing the DHHR is doing a lot of reviews starting coming up um, things are going to get lost in the mail. It's important if you're submitting something or talking to someone that you have proof of it Do it by email so you have proof that they received it do it by fax so you have proof that they received it um, walk it into the local office and have it stamped and take a picture of the stamped Take, you know, picture to something. So you have proof that you submitted it. If you are being represented by legal aid, they're going to take care of making sure that whatever has it has been turned in on time. Now, as far as timeframes go, if you receive a letter saying, hey, we're going to terminate your SNAP benefits um, starting March 1st. The letter is dated February 12th. You have 13 days from the date of that letter to say hey I don't think this is right and I want to continue to receive benefits so you can continue to receive your SNAP benefits while you're fighting that appeal if you wait until after that 13 day period you can still appeal it but you will not be receiving the benefits while you're appealing you can appeal up to 60 day 90 days after the adverse action letter so if the letter was dated February 12th and you would have May 12th, before you would absolutely have to file the appeal, but you would not be receiving benefits during that time.
0: Now, what happens if you receive the benefits and then later they determine um, after a lengthy process that you were in fact not eligible for those benefits? Do you have to pay those back?
1: There is there is a possibility that they would require you to pay those back. DHR has a policy that regardless of whether um, it was an agency error or a client error. If you received benefits that you were determined not to be eligible to receive, they can consider that an overpayment and they may require you to pay those back.
0: And if you didn't uh, file the appeal in time and you uh, filed the appeal say on the 89th day, and then you ultimately determined you were eligible for those benefits, will you receive a a big um, bunch of benefits that may have been due to you if it took six months to process the appeal
1: yes as long as as long as you are if if a, a hearing officer determines that you are eligible to receive or even if the hearing representative from the dhhr says we made a mistake and you were eligible to receive they'll go back until where they stopped your benefits and you can get retroactive benefits
0: So, what's that hearing process look like then? We talked about, you may talk to the worker at first. They may say, no, we think we were right, and you still think they're wrong. What's the next step in the process?
1: So, normally, they call that, when you talk to the worker, they call that a pre-hearing conference. So, that is your chance to say, hey, what happened? What, you know, why why did you terminate or why did you reduce? And um, that's the worker's chance to say, well, we have this evidence that says that, you know, this, we were correct and you are not. Um, if you still don't agree with that, then you can absolutely request a hearing with a hearing officer. Um, and you would, after the pre-hearing conference, the hearing is usually scheduled within 30 days. So it's very quick, the, how thing, how fast things move. And you would have a hearing with a hearing officer and the department representative.
0: So what's that hearing like? Is it like Judge Judy? Is it like uh, law and order? What's what's What would it be along those scales?
1: It's very informal. Um prior to COVID, it's what it was, you know, the client or the client's rep if you if you're being represented represented by legal aid, would go into the local dhhr office. The dhhr hearing rep would be in there or their caseworker and the hearing officer. So you would all sit in one room and you would basically talk through the issues. The the hearing rep will try to say, hey, we're right because of you know this policy and if you have a legal aid rep they're going to give their own policy and say why they think they're wrong Um, and then the hearing officer will make a determination from there
0: and what if you don't have a a legal aid representation well what would you do would you just go in and say this is why i think that's wrong
1: you could Um, it's always better to it's always better to have help because a lot of people are not familiar with the the dhhr's policy Um, also their policy changes frequently so um, it's always best to have a representative unless you are aware of the policy.
0: What should you take to that hearing with you and what should you do to prepare?
1: Any evidence that you have, any any reason why you think this is why this happened and how it should have happened. So if if they're saying, for instance, they're saying that um, your ex-husband or your ex-spouse is living with you and you didn't include his income, you'll want to take, you know, some proof that he's not living there Show like a lease where he lives somewhere else that he signed and show your lease that you're the only one on that just just proof evidence that that supports what you're saying
0: does the hearings officer issue a decision right there and tell you what they're going to do or do they send a decision out in writing later
1: normally they send a decision out later in writing it can be up to six weeks to get the decision
0: And then if you get that decision and you still don't agree with the rulings from the hearings officer, uh, what can you do then?
1: You then have 30 days to file an appeal with the circuit court of your county. However, there are new issues because we now have the intermediate court. Um, So they may require that you file with the intermediate court. Again, you should look for representation from legal aid so they can assist with that.
0: Yeah, I think it's fair to say that. Given my knowledge of that, that's a fairly complex area as it appeals to that stage. So, if you think that you're at that level, you should absolutely, if you haven't already, you should contact Legal Aid of West Virginia and see if they can provide any assistance to you in in that appeals process. And then the appeals from there will go either to the Circuit Court or the Intermediate Court, as we mentioned. That could be complicated um, given the current state of the law. And then you could appeal even to the Supreme Court of the state of West Virginia to get a final ruling. I know legal aid has historically appealed some cases to that level um, and have received decisions um, from the Supreme Court relating to public benefits. Um, Any last uh, minute advice that you give uh, your clients or people that come in that need assistance, but they're going to be going forward on their own for some reason, maybe you don't have enough people to, to handle them with their case, what advice would you give someone in that situation?
1: Uh, keep record of everything. Um, any, any interaction you have with, with the DHHR, write down the name of the person you spoke to. So if you do go to hearing or if you do have a pre-hearing conference, you can say, I spoke to this person on this day and this is what that person said to me. Um, so even if you can't prove what they said, you can prove that you absolutely spoke to that person. Um, anything that you can document, show, you know, take pictures when you send stuff in, um, take it in personally and have it date stamped just so you have proof that it was submitted because they they are really backlogged as far as getting through the mail. Um, so anything that you can do to make sure that, that you are showing proof is, is always a, a positive.
0: Well, Kathy, thank you for taking the time to talk about this issue and to talk about the changes that are coming to SNAP Benefits. I appreciate you taking the time today.
1: Sure, thanks for having
0: me. More information about SNAP benefits is available at LegalAidWV.org. To apply for SNAP benefits, visit www.wvpath.gov. That's www.wvpath.gov. Thank you for joining us for this edition of What's the Law Say? A presentation of Legal Aid of West Virginia.